This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. It's a day after opening day edition of Play by Playcast, everyone. My name is Joel Gadet. Thanks for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you have found this podcast. We appreciate you tuning in this week. It's the podcast for Play by Play broadcasters, about Play by Play broadcasters, hosted by a Play by Play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast, diving into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best Play by Play announcers in the business. And with baseball on our mind today, Andy Mazur will be our guest member of the Chicago White Sox radio broadcast crew and the former radio voice of the San Diego Padres. We'll get to Andy uh, here in just a second. But I did mention on the podcast last week that last Saturday, I worked for Big Ten Network doing a, a men's gymnastics meet in studio. That was the first time I've ever worked in studio. And I said I would kind of give you the lowdown first person of, of what it's like doing a game in a room instead of on site. It's something we've talked about on this podcast several times before. And if you want to go get like people who are better at this stuff than me uh, talking about it, uh, you can. Ed Cohen, the voice of the New York Knicks, before he was the voice of the New York Knicks, uh, talks about it back in an earlier episode. I believe Matt Martucci might talk about it uh, back in an earlier episode as well. If you scroll back through our back archives, and, and they're all there, all 93 episodes before this one are available. Um, but you can hear some other people talk about Adam Amin, I think, also talks about what what it's like doing in a studio. He's episode 10 and 11. Uh, But here's the perspective from how it was for me. Uh, First off, I did an event on a Saturday. So it's a men's gymnastics meet on a Saturday at Big Ten Network. I'd been to the Big Ten Network building before, so I knew where I was going, but I was kind of concerned because it was a Saturday. So I was like, well, am I going to be able to get in? Like, how's this going to work? Uh, I went to security. Like, there was somebody there. Thank goodness. So they, they let me in, take the elevator up. Had to, like, the, the door was locked because, like, nobody's in the office officially. Uh, so you, like, hit the call button. They come, they get you. Uh, and they escort me back to literally a room. Like, we turned down the hallway, turned right, and then on the left is a room. And I walk into a room, and there's a table in the middle of the room there is a Big Ten Network backdrop on a you know, collapsible stand behind you that comes with the backdrop. Uh, there are studio lights set up on the wall in front of you. And then there are two TVs in front of you. And between the TVs is a camera. And it's, it, it was, it's like a mounted camera. Um, so it could rotate and such. It kind of it looked like a, it was a bigger like Big Brother camera. You know, it's like if you walked into a spy room, it would be like in the corner peering down at you. Uh, so that was that was the studio. And the room was no bigger than a bedroom. I mean, a, a reg- like a, it was a dorm room, to be honest. Like that, that was the size of it. And you walked in and you sat down, you put the headset on. The control room was down the hallway uh, and you did the game. And it was it was interesting. It was wild. I will tell you this. You pretty much and this was just me. Only watched one of the two monitors. The monitor on my left was program. That was what you're seeing at home. 
The monitor on my right was every camera we had available to us. I didn't look at that. Uh, if I went back and did it again, I probably would. I could probably try two more. Uh, and I can think of some instances where I wish I had and didn't. But it's like sensory overload trying to like process all. I was just trying to like not curse. Um, <laughs> I just wanted things to go well. Um, so it was kind of like addition slowly, you know, one thing at a time, getting used to my new surroundings. Uh, but I, I think your your initial tendency is to just watch program, even though you have all of the other angles uh, available to you. The biggest takeaway, though, that I got from it, you know, what's the thing everybody says about play-by-play? You want to make it sound like you're watching a game at the bar with your buddies, right? Like you just want to sound like you're sitting there watching the game. It is immensely easier to do that in a remote studio setting. Because literally what I was doing was sitting there watching the game with somebody else. So I I like, and it just kind of happened subconsciously. Like I didn't really think about it, but when I finished the event, finished the gymnastics meet, I stood up and I was like, I just kind of feel like I was watching a meet, like shooting the shit with, you know, John Roethlisberger, who was my, my analyst about it. We made some jokes. We had some good times. Like, and I think gymnastics plays itself a little bit more in a conversational tone that way. But I just felt like, I, I mean, you literally are sitting at a table watching an event with a guy, your analyst, like I'm talking about it. So I think it's easier to convey that feeling and emotion and sentiment to the broadcast than it is when you're at the game sitting at the table. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to doing more games that way because I'm, I'm kind of curious to pay more attention to it going forward and see like ways to bottle that up and then take it to the site so that when I do games live in person, um, you can carry that over. But my biggest takeaway was that like I, it, it, I thought it was easier to make that connection as if you were just sitting there watching a game with your buddies at the bar. Um, the other thing that was weird is like you got up when it was over and like you, I kind of felt like I hadn't done anything <laughs> because like the event's over, you sign off, you get up and you walk outside. And part of it, I think, was it was Saturday. So there weren't a ton of people there, but like the hallway lights were off. Um, and there were some people like in edit suites and things. And obviously the studio was down the, the hall. So there were people there. Um, but like you get up and you, you walk out and there's just like, like kind of an empty office. <laughs> You're kind of like, oh, well. you know, you, usually you, you finish a game and you get up and there's still like a buzz and there's people around. And you're at the arena and you like say hey to a coach or something on your way out. Like you just kind of got up and you, you used the bathroom and said your goodbyes and stuck your head in the studio and you, you, you left. And it was just like, all right. Uh, it was kind of weird in that, like, <laughs> you, you didn't, you, at no point did you feel like you were there. Not for better or worse. It was just like an odd new feeling um, that I've never had before doing a game. Uh, so those, I think, were, were my main takeaways. Uh, so my, my personal experience of uh, what it's being like uh, in a studio, I thought I would relay that uh, along to you guys. Uh, but you didn't come here to uh, hear me ramble, and you've done enough of that. So uh, Andy Mazer is our guest this week. Uh, who has been around this business for a very long time and uh, obviously spent uh, a good chunk of time announcing with the San Diego Padres uh, in a couple of different roles. And before that, uh, worked on the Chicago Cubs broadcast and now is back in Chicago and uh, is working on the Chicago White Sox broadcast and has worked with Big Ten Network, Speak of the Devil, um, and was also previously, by the way, in his first stint in Chicago, the voice of the now Final Four bound, Loyola Chicago Ramblers. Uh, There will be some Sister Jean conversation on this podcast. 
But Andy has a couple of interesting perspectives from uh, the way that his career progressed to, um, you know, obviously making it to the major leagues and what that jump was like, uh, jumping from Chicago to San Diego. We, we continue kind of that conversation we had with Matt Chasnow a couple of weeks ago about uh, going to a new location uh, and basically uh, break down the, the the actual you know physics of a baseball broadcast, how to have the most conversational broadcast you can have. You know, carrying on that conversational point we, we just made about, you know, being in a studio. Um, we talk a lot with Andy on this episode about um, conversational tone of baseball and, and, and what plays well on air in that conversational tone as opposed to sometimes what doesn't and where you can get yourself in trouble with some different pitfalls. So good conversation with Andy Mazur coming up uh, on this edition of PXP Cast. <laughs> As as a uh, as a former broadcaster of the team, what's uh, what's watching Loyola been like uh, this March? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I uh, you know I know uh, the the sports information director there is a is a really good friend of mine, and a lot of the people that I that I even worked with uh, when I was there in you know the early two thousands are still around. So it's it's pretty cool to talk to those guys and and know the struggles that we went through when we were. Uh, we were broadcasting those games a little bit earlier in the, in the 2000s and, and now to see what Porter Moser has done there. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Here's what I'm most curious about, though, because uh, we have a women's basketball player here at Ball State uh, who transferred from Loyola. And I walked, mm-hmm. up, I walked up to her last week and I said, Sister Jean, like real deal? Uh, <laughs> so did, were you associated with Sister Jean at all when she, was, uh, when she was at Loyola or when you were at Loyola? You know, I wasn't directly associated with her, but I mean, I, I, everybody that I've talked to, and I mean, I've, I've talked to her a few times myself. It's just, uh, she's genuine. I mean, to me, she's the genuine article. I mean, it's, it's so funny to watch, to watch the, uh, the stir that she's kind of created <laughs> and kind of become the mascot, you know, unfortunately for yeah, right. her, but I mean, she's to the point where she's correcting people when they ask her if she's a national sensation <laughs> and she says, no, no, excuse me. It's international. <laughs> it's, one of the, it's one of the best parts about the whole tournament, to be honest. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's uh, there's obviously people across the country who don't feel the same. There was a uh, a uh, radio guy, can't remember where he was, but uh, tweeted kind of an expletive towards her because they were kind of sick and tired of seeing her. But, I mean, how can you get sick and tired of seeing a 98-year-old nun? That's what makes the tournament great. Exactly. It's, it's those moments, you know, you get the, the crying trumpet player, you know, you get the crying kid, <laughs> and, you know, now you got Sister Jean. You got the cheering nun. Yeah, it's exactly, exactly. one shining, I mean, if she's not in one shining moment, that's, yeah. She might be one shining moment. <laughs> might be the whole thing. You yeah. never know. Exactly. Uh, fair enough. It'll be interesting to see. Um, mm-hmm. If we know if we know people, we'll put in a call. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, if we can get down to brass tacks, though, on it, how did you yeah. get to uh, how did you get to Loyola? I mean, because that was early on in your career. Uh, walk me through the beginnings of of Andy Mazur's play by play path. Okay. Yeah, that's a, it's a fair question. I was at uh, was at WGN. I started there in 1999. And was doing Cubs pre and post. I wasn't doing any play-by-play on the radio uh, network at that point. Uh, that came a couple of years later. But I was approached by uh, by my boss, uh, a man by the name of Dave Ennett, who does a great job with uh, Northwestern football and basketball. Oh. Had the chance to fill in for him a few times on both. And um, uh, he kind of he approached me because the the school had called to see if there was anybody that could could do their games on radio. They had a guy that was leaving, and uh, they wanted to know if there was anybody around that could do it. And, you know, Dave always knew that my, my dream was to do play by play. And he, uh, he recommended me for the job. I went over there and met with them and, uh, it turned out to be a pretty good fit. It was, uh, it was a good first, uh, 
first spot for me because I got to work with uh, Larry Farmer, who was the coach at the time, uh, kind of being intimidated by a guy who had only lost one career game in his college career, <laughs> uh, but turned out to be one of the nicest guys I'd ever met. And to this day, I still keep in touch with him. Um, and uh, I, again, I met one of my, my better friends uh, that I have uh, with the, uh, the sports information director over there, who's there now. And uh, it was, it was a great association. I mean, I just, I, I really learned to appreciate what it is to be a college broadcaster because of the, not only the relationships you make with the administration and that kind of thing, but the relationships you make with the kids and you, and they do come in as kids and they leave as men. And it's, it's nice in, in those kind of institutions, mid majors where guys stick around for all four years yeah. and, you know, you get to really see what they, what they're like as an 18 year old coming in and being a little green, not only on the court, but off the court. And then they leave as confident guys. And it's just, I mean, I, I still hear from a lot of those guys, uh, every once in a while on Twitter and uh, via text and just kind of checking up on them and see how they're doing. And uh, they do the same with me. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I think that's probably one of my favorite parts about the college aspect of it too. Um, yeah. And it's, it's totally unrelated to the physical nature of calling the games, but it's the, mm -hmm. the relationships of the people that you're around um, yeah. that I think make I it mean, special. And, and, you know, you mean you travel and you travel with them, you get to know them a little bit better. You, you get to go to, meals with them and see what kind of makes them tick. And, and, you know, you know deep down there, there are a bunch of great guys that just want to, uh, you know, want to win and win badly. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure this has happened for you as well. I mean, you get to know their parents a little bit and, you know, you, you realize that when you're doing a broadcast for a college game, that a lot of your audience is, is family and friends yeah. and you kind of gear it toward them because, you know, you don't, you don't want to, uh, unfairly criticize a kid or anything like that. Cause you know, his parents are probably listening and if they're not listening, they're going to get a text message about it. I was listening and they said that exactly. someone said that they, someone said that someone said that they said this the, the telephone game. Yes. 100%. <laughs> um, but you were, so you're at GN, you're doing Loyola. Um, you know, we've had this, uh, not debate, but conversation, I think a, mm -hmm. a lot of times on this podcast in terms of, and this is the wrong way to say, but like right way to try to get into major market play by play. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you're a great study of like, go to a city and make it happen. Um, what was that quest like for you to go to Chicago and, and make it happen in a major market? Well, you know, luckily for me, I grew up here. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a market I'm familiar with. It's a market that I uh, have been basically watching my <laughs> entire life, not just career, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's, that, that's a fortunate kind of thing. So, you know, I came from, uh, I went to Bradley university in Peoria and I worked, I worked there for almost seven years after I graduated. Did you ever get to meet Charlie a, Steiner, by the way, or is that? Oh yeah. I okay. met him. I met him after the fact, actually, I met him through, uh, when I was doing games with the Padres. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. He was doing games with the Dodgers. So <laughs> I got to meet him. He's a, he's a character in and of himself. Okay. We, we can maybe address that a little bit later. <laughs> for sure. Uh, but you know, I, I, I got a, a chance to work and I, I really wasn't doing uh, sports. I was doing a lot of top 40 music. I was doing uh, top 40 radio. I was doing uh, internships in uh, television and, and some in radio. And uh, one of my stations changed formats and everybody got, everybody got let go. So I decided, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming home. It's about time to come home. And I wound up working for an outfit that uh, did news reports, traffic reports and sports reports for, you know, multiple stations that they were contracted through. And the sports director happened to be a guy by the name of Jeff Joniak, who now calls Chicago Bears football games. And I challenged, he challenged me and I challenged him basically, you know, to, you know, let me on the air to do some sports. 
and uh, I used to send him tapes daily. I would send him like three or four sports updates daily. He fell so far behind. He was like, okay, listen, you got the drive. You got the desire. I want to put you on. I'll let's see how you sound. And uh, he gave me a shot to do a weekend uh, night shift on uh, the news radio station here in town. And it uh, turned out that uh, he liked it. And then I ended up working basically like seven days a week. I was doing traffic reports in the morning uh, during the week. And I was doing two shifts, a uh, uh, sports shifts on the weekends. So, I mean, I, I had it in my blood, but, you know, it's I'm, I'm basically a long way of saying this is that there really is no correct path. Uh, I'm teaching a class right now in, in uh, broadcasting here in Chicago. And, you know, these kids all want to know, hey, what's the best way to do it? What's the best way to do it? And I tell them the best way to do it is just to get on the air because you need to show somebody that you know what you're doing when you're on the radio and that you have tape of you actually doing a game or actually doing a broadcast to let them hear. I mean, sometimes, you know, your path takes you down one road for a little bit and you get off that path and you want to go do another one. But if, as long as you have tape to back you up, I mean, it's it's a it's a, a better thing for you. So I just tell them, you know, work your rear end off to, to, to get somewhere where you can prove yourself. And and luckily for me, it worked out. How do you go from being like you know, how do you walk that line when you're young of being? You know, obviously, they know you probably want to do play-by-play, um, mm-hmm. and not being like the young whippersnapper who who just wants to do play-by-play, and that and they know that to being able to to conquer all those challenges that they give you, and and just kind of bide your time, so to speak, so that when an opportunity shows up, they're like, oh, you know, let's give Andy that chance. Yeah, you know, it, it separates the men from the boys because, as I tell these guys too, and as you know, I was told many times as I was. Uh, growing up in the business, you know, listen, you got to pay your dues and you got to be well-rounded and you have to be respected and you have to show that you're willing to do anything. I mean, just to, to, to start your career. I, you know, I have a couple of kids in my class right now that, you know, aren't interested in being on air. They're just interested in being behind the camera. And I watch, I watch how they operate when we do on air stuff. And I, you know, I kind of take mental notes that if you, if you kind of phone it in, because oh I don't I don't want to do any of that I, I just want to be behind the camera. Mm. Okay, well that's all well and good, but you're you're giving off a bad impression. You're giving off a an impression to me that says, well I'm only going to try really hard at the things I want to do. Yeah, you can't do that. I mean you have to be able to and be willing to. And like I said, I I did top forty radio for goodness sakes. I <laughs> I was I was a, a, a night jock uh, at a at a top forty station that was number one in Peoria. And, you know, it was fun. I had a I had a blast while I was doing it. I embraced the chaos while I was doing it. But, you know, knowing down the road that that was not going to be the end-all, be-all for me. I mean, I, I knew what I wanted to do. But at the same time, when you're in a job and you're in a situation where you're getting experience, don't, you know, don't bite the hand that feeds you. You know, you have to you have to show these guys that you're willing to, uh, you know, to do any shift. I started out overnights. I was making 13 grand, you know, back in 1991 to do an overnight shift. And, you know, you, you got to stick with it. You got to have support of your family. You got to be, you know, pretty confident in your own ability, too. How did you uh, when did the Cubs come into the picture, I guess? Well, actually, it started in 99 um, when I got the job at WGN. It was when I was doing weekend pre and post game shows. And then I, I kind of would, would stay in the booth. I mean, a lot of the pregame hosts would, would leave the booth and would go home. And, I, you know, I, I kind of stayed in there and I, I yeah, that seems started kind of contributing. Yeah. Why, why, yeah, you know, yeah. Why wouldn't you hang yeah, exactly. around? Yeah, exactly. I started contributing to the broadcast, giving them notes and things of that nature. And, you know, I struck up a real good rapport with uh, with Pat Hughes and with Ron Sano. And then when Ron got sick uh, the first time when he had his leg, uh, one of his legs amputated because of diabetes, the 
Cubs marketing department, uh, who was it's actually John McDonough, the guy who's running the Blackhawks now, uh, was the marketing chief at, uh, at the Cubs at the time. And he called me up and he said, Hey, listen, you know, we want to put you on the road with them um, because we want you to be able to kind of keep an eye on Ronnie. And, and if he can't do a broadcast, we want you to do it. Uh, but more, more often we want somebody who's near him that can help him if he's, if he runs into any problems. So that kind of began the path because since I was on the road, the station figured, okay, well, guess what? You're going to do all the pregame shows because we'd rather have them emanate from the ballpark than, you know, from our studio. If you're sitting there, you may as well do the game, uh, do the pregame. And I said, sure, you know, not a problem. And uh, it, that, that's kind of how it, uh, kind of how it led to uh, doing a little play-by-play for them and, basically directly led to my, my uh, gig with the Padres. Uh, what'd you learn from Pat? I learned so much. <laughs> um, I, I mean, we, we'd have to do another hour you know, <laughs> podcast just for me to be able to tell you, you know, all the things that I learned from him. You know, I, there, there's a certain style that he possesses that, that I'm just really envious of. He's, he's got that, that old time radio play by play guys voice that, you know, you, you, you know, when you hear him, you know, it's a baseball game, you know, uh, what you're tuned into. He had a great way also of deferring to Ron without sounding like he didn't know what he was talking about and without making it sound like Ron didn't know what he was talking about, uh, which is an art, it's an art form. And I tell you what, it came in really handy for me, uh, when I went to San Diego and I was working with Jerry Coleman, because it was the same kind of situation where, you know, Jerry was an icon, uh, in San Diego and, you know, Ron obviously was an icon here in Chicago. So you have to tread really lightly. And I really, I learned a lot about that from him. And I also learned how to, you know, kind of have a little fun with the broadcast and yet, you know, poke some fun at yourself and, you know, have a good laugh every once in a while at your own expense, because, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself, you can't laugh at anybody else. Yeah. And he just had a, a nice little self deprecation to him. And it was it was kind of fun and, and it, it really works. You know, I, I stole that from him. I mean, I'm not, I don't do it exactly the way he does it. I kind of, kind of fit it to the way I'd like to, to do things. But, you know, after, at the end of the day, we're doing, we're doing a baseball game. Uh, we're not negotiating high level contracts. We're not uh, nuclear, uh, nuclear arms talks or anything like that. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're at the end of the day, we're talking baseball. And I understand that, you know, for those three hours, there are people that are tuned in that have problems that want to forget about their problems and you want to be entertained. And that's a lot of what I keep in my brain every time I crack the mic and do a game. And, you know, even when I do a pregame show, it's just, you know, I want to, I want to inform and entertain. That's, that's basically how I want to do it. Can you go back to the first part of that, just in terms of learning to defer and learning to involve your analyst? Uh, Mm -hmm. Can you kind of explain a little bit more about that and, and, and how that, how, what you learned informed what you have become as a broadcaster? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, you know, mainly I'm talking about radio in this case. So, sure. you know, uh, in, in radio, obviously your, your, your play-by-play guys is more important at that point, just because you have to let everybody know where the ball is. You can't see it, obviously. So, but you know, what, what I mean by that is, you know, the, the, uh, these guys weren't trained as professional broadcasters, so they really don't have a lot of idea of, you know, I, I guess etiquette's the right word for lack of a better word, um, you know, to, to kind of let the play-by-play guy do his thing and then jump in these guys would jump in no matter where they were or what they were. And a lot of times they wouldn't uh, you know, say the right name or, or things of that nature. They would make a joke that really wasn't all that funny. Uh, you know, so there, there's an art form to it, you know, and there's an art form to, you know, just making sure that you're not losing your own credibility and you're not jeopardizing their integrity either. 
So, you know, for example, if, if, if uh, Jerry Coleman would say something uh, that was completely wrong and completely off base, I would turn to our producer and our producer would have the task of telling him in his ear that, you know, would, would correct him. I would never correct him on the radio. I would take a little pause and I'd come back and describe the next pitch. Um, you know, same kind of thing with, with Ron, but at the same time, you know, you want to, you want them to be engaged the entire game. Now, Jerry, when I got to work with him was a little older and um, you know, his interest in, I think doing the games was waning a little bit. So every once in a while I'd see him start to check out and I would, I'd have to bring him back in. I would have to reel him in with a, you know, a question or, or something, uh, uh, you know, something about uh, his old playing days, which he hated talking about, uh, you know, and <laughs> if it was Ron, that works, yeah. You know, yeah. And if it was Ron, it was exactly the opposite. He loved talking about, uh, you know, his, his days of playing and, you know, maybe some of the things that we experienced on the road or, or something to that nature, just to make sure that they were part of the broadcast and they were engaged and they looked, they sounded like they were having fun because nine times out of 10, if they were having fun, your audience was having fun because they're the ones that they were tuning in for. And I knew that, I mean, they could stuck anybody in there and done what I was doing at that point. And if everybody was listening for, for Jerry and for Ron. So, I mean, you, you have to understand when you, when you get into a booth and into a situation like that, that, you know, when you walk in that front door and as hard as it may be for some people, you got to hang up your coat and hang up your ego at the same time, because, you know, you've, you've got to be that person. That's the bigger person to, you know, to admit to yourself that these guys are much more popular than you are, but yet people appreciate how you treat them. And I got tons of emails in San Diego, you know, telling, telling me, Hey, you know, we really appreciate the way that, you know, you, you keep the, the Colonel going and, you know, you don't correct him on the air and, you know, you make him laugh. And, you know, those are the kind of things that make me feel good about, uh, about what I do. You know, if I, if I can dovetail off that a little bit too, yeah. uh, and I thought about this, just thinking of really what constitutes a baseball broadcast, mm-hmm. um, because conversations that you have in real life, and they always say like, you know, you want a, a broadcast to sound like it's two guys sitting in a bar on their right. sofa just watching a game, but I feel like a lot of, not a lot, but there are there's a, there are many conversations you would have in real life that don't necessarily parlay over to a broadcast. And I don't necessarily mean that in terms of like subject matter or Mm -hmm. verbiage, but like certain senses of humor or certain sarcasms or Mm -hmm. certain anythings just, you know, you can make an awkward comment in real life uh, that, that is funny in real life, but you do it on television and it just falls flat. Right. How do you, how did you find particularly in baseball, which is such a conversational broadcast, that right medium of like, this is the right, conversation to have on air that -hmm. will be informative that will be entertaining um and that will still sound like it's a a broadcast the simple answer is trial and error (laughs) (laughs) fair enough i mean sometimes you lay an egg you know and what do you do you move on you know it's it's kind of like a like a bad golf shot you can't dwell on it otherwise you're gonna hit another bad one (laughs) so you kind of have to let it go and just realize okay well that kind of thing isn't gonna work (laughs) um you know and some of the things that you think will have never have a chance to work are the funniest bits you ever do. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you, you know, you pointed out, I mean, baseball is the, is the best to me just because you have a three hour window or sometimes four hour window to, you know, not only paint the picture, but as you point out, I mean, have a conversation with, with the guy sitting next to you and, you know, inform the audience, entertain the audience, because you know, let's be honest, you know, not every, not every team is in the race all the time. You know, I've had teams that were, were basically dead and buried by the, uh, by the end of May. And, you know, you look at the calendar, you're like, oh, my God, I got June, July, August and most of <laughs> September, you know, to still do. So, you know, it, it really does kind of force you to to explore and to take some chances and to 
um, you know, try to do things maybe a little differently. And like, I, I would concentrate in those days, I would concentrate on uh, real positive moments with, you know, maybe a minor leaguer or a young player that came up. I would really spend a lot of time with that player to try to get to know him. Um, you know, once in a while I would, you know, just bend the, bend the ear of the manager or bend the ear of the bench coach just to kind of get, uh, you know, try to weed through all the cliches and, you know, really explain what, uh, you know, what things mean when people are hearing, uh, you know, a, a guy say, you know, ducks on the pond or, you know, uh, you know, you, you got the, the shifts and what goes into the shift and what goes into a lineup construction. So, you know, th there are things I'm sure that a lot of people that, that tune into your broadcast think they're familiar with, but they really aren't just because they hear it. They think, oh, yeah, I know that because they say that all the time. But I would try to, you know, try to delve a little deeper and then use the two guys that were sitting next to me in, in, in each booth and bounce things off of them, you know, Hey, listen, you know, what, what was it like, you know, and when you did this or, you know, uh, did you ever see this when you were playing or can you think of anybody, you know, and a lot of times you'd be surprised what you can get out of these guys, especially if they're not talking about themselves and talking about somebody else. I've never even thought about the lineup construction conversation before, the yeah. ones, which is interesting. It is interesting because, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times in a lot of these, in these cases with these teams, you know, if you have a young manager, there's a lot more uh, cooks that, devise the lineup than you really think. I mean, sometimes, you know, when a, a veteran manager is there, a veteran manager is going to use the numbers and is also going to use the gut a little bit more than maybe the younger managers are now more inclined mm. to go sabermetrically or to go, um, you know, based on analytics and things of that nature. You know, when I've been around managers that, uh, that poo poo that stuff and just say, listen, I know, I know what this guy can hit. And I know this guy doesn't hit well against certain guy, but I need him in my lineup. I want to hit him lower. Um, you know, my, my sixth guy needs to be my RBI guy. My number three guy's got to be my best hitter. You know, there's there certain philosophies that, you know, you learn and kind of file away uh, from your experiences to, you know, to, to portray in a, in a, uh, in a broadcast setting where that might be the topic of conversation. So uh, I think it's good to kind of explain to people, you know, that it's not just a cut and dry kind of thing. I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, heck, Joe Madden has been known to put put names in a hat and pick them out. I mean, Dusty Baker would never do that. You know, Buddy Black <laughs> would never do that. Uh, but you know, it, it doesn't mean that they're right and he's wrong, or he's wrong and they're right. You know, so it's it, they're, they're fun conversations to have because you know, baseball you can there's never a shortage of topics to bring up. I mean, now I mean I'm sure the big topic of discussion, especially early in the season, is going to be the new pace of play rules and you know how do those how those going to manifest themselves or our catcher is going to ignore them and, and take the uh, take the fine instead of, you know, no. adhering to the rules. And so those are going to be good topics of discussion that you can, you know, if you have a, a veteran guy that's uh, that played the sport, you know, hey, would you ever think that this would even be a, a thing this, you know, these days? So, I mean, there's a lot of things you can you can talk about that maybe you think you can't. Uh, what other kinds of things would you like to talk about? Um, or did you have any favorite avenues to go down or, you know, favorite wells that you would go to of not non sequitur, but like unrelated information that was still baseball related. Like if I'm doing a college game, like I will, mm -hmm. I, every day I read cut four on MLB.com and I just scroll right. through different stories and try to find out different things that are interesting around baseball. Um, how would you incorporate that kind of stuff into a broadcast where it's related, but it's not directly related, but it helps you fill three hours and tell stories. Yeah. So it's interesting. I was doing games for, uh, for the big 10 network for uh, on TV for a couple of years uh, when I moved back here. Uh, from San Diego, and I was working with a couple of guys that had played in the big leagues before. So, you know, what you do in that case, and what I used to do 
was I used to really research the school and figure out if, you know, who's the most famous uh, baseball guy that came out of that school. And, you know, that would lead down many, many paths because then you start, you start remembering games, you know, you start remembering, uh, you know, incidents, uh, whether that be in college or whether it be in the, in the minors or the pros that you read about this guy. So I, whenever I was doing a game with Indiana, it was always Kyle Schwarber. You know, we would always bring up Kyle Schwarber. And if you have a good producer, they've got video of a home run they hit in the, uh, in the big 10 tournament in Omaha in, in uh, 2011. Yeah, and then you can start talking about, you know, why would the Cubs draft him so high? The guy was a catcher. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things and there's a lot more information out there that people even realize because, you know, when I first started out, the internet was basically a, a, an infant and, you know, now it's grown to this, uh, this college ready kind of a, a thing where, you know, you can get uh, so many, so many great things if you're doing college baseball you know, the D1 baseball, that uh, that uh, the website yeah. that those guys are on, I mean, it's fantastic. Subscribe to that. You, you're not going to be you're not going to be wasting money if you're doing college ba- uh, college uh, baseball or, or anything like that, because they're in depth and they, they provide more information than I could possibly research on my own. So, you know, I, I give them credit, obviously, when I when I, <laughs> when I bring something up like that, just because it's fair. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there, there's a lot of things. I mean, the college game is so much better now. I mean, you know, the, the metal bats are gone. You know, the composite bats are in. You know, that's a good discussion, especially with a guy that uh, played baseball in, in the bigs, you know, never using the metal bats mm-hmm. and always basically using wood. So th- there's a whole lot of technical things you can bring up that you think might be over people's head. But that's that's your job. That's That's the beauty of it. You can sit there and explain it to them. You can sit there and then be backed up by – a color commentator that has credibility because he played the game. So I always like to have those discussions with somebody before, you know, before we, we, we do it obviously. So they're not blindsided. That's but, what I was say. How much, how much prep goes into that in terms of like how long a conversation, how much of what you have, will you lay out and how much of will you keep to become organic? Well, that's the thing. I, I, I want to make sure that I'm not, I'm not having too much of a conversation where you lose what you're going to get on the air. Um, I would like, I usually will like an idea will hit me, you know, then maybe the night before a game or when I walk into the booth and I'm like, yeah, you know, and I do a little research and then I try to see if I'm right or if I'm not, if I'm not, I want to drop it immediately. <laughs> uh, but if I'm right, I'm going to say, I'll say something, Hey, you know, I'm, I might bring this up. So, you know, just be ready just in case I bring this up. I'm thinking about maybe going down this road. So just, you know, kind of have that in mind. I said, I'm not really sure when I'm going to bring it up, but you know, I talked to the producer and we've got some video to back it up too. So, you know, just, I don't want to blindside you with it. Sure. And that, that way, at least the guy has a fighting chance. I mean, if he's, if he's, you know, clueless on the situation, he'll look at you and be like, Hey man, you know, don't bring me in. I don't really know what the hell I'm talking about with this. I'm like, okay, then I'll drop it. And I might just bring it up as a, a passing note rather than a discussion topic. So you have to be pretty flexible with that. You got to realize who you're working with and, and, you know, kind of know your audience as well. I'd be remiss if I don't uh, if I don't jump ahead to the Padres and uh, sure. I, if I can start at the beginning of it. Uh, yeah. You know, we had Matt Chaz now from Washington State on this podcast uh, a mm-hmm. couple of weeks ago, and uh, the question I had for Matt, being an East Coast guy, that you know he he worked with IMG and done some stuff with with Wazoo as a network producer, but didn't really have any ties to the area or the school immediately. I said, how mm-hmm. do you how do you broach that subject of saying, listen, I don't have a ton of ties to your area, but I can do this job. I'm good at it. Um, and once I'm there, like I'm going to win your fans over and, and I'm all in, um, yeah. for, for a guy that was, you know, Chicago born and bred, uh, what was kind of your pitch to San Diego to say like, Hey, I'm your guy to come to, uh, you know, San Diego and tell the story of the Padres. 
because basically what you do, and in many cases, they want to know that you've done some studying. They want to know that you've done a little research on the town, you know, what you know about it, what you know about the team. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I all remember 1984. <laughs> I was a, I was a junior going into my senior year in, in high school and those guys just ruined my childhood. I mean, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of use that as a, you know, kind of a deflector, so to speak, okay. because, you know, I knew all those guys and it's, it's funny because I had met Tim Flannery, the guy that was doing the job before me, uh, in, uh, Las Vegas when we were doing a Padres Cubs game, the last game of spring training of 2006, the year before I left. And he and I got to talking and I'm like, you know, you're, you're hip. Such a lot. I said, how do you even take credit for that? You know I mean? You should have just laid the bat down and walked to the dugout knowing it. You should have been out and you, you know, you would have <laughs> saved me a lot of heart. You know? So I just, you know, I kind of approached it as uh, trying to disarm him a little bit. And he and I became fast friends and we were just, uh, you know, uh, shooting the breeze that maybe mainly the rest of the time we were, uh, we were sitting in the booth together and, you know, it turned out that the next year he went back into coaching and I called him and I said, Hey, what do you think? He's like, go for it. He goes, I'm going to put in a good word for you you know, this, that, and the other. And, you know, I had met, uh, Ted Leitner and I had met uh, Jerry Coleman during their travels you know, and my travels. So I, I knew of those guys and they knew of me. They knew that, you know, I would, I'd be that one that would always come into the opposing booth and, you know, say, Hey, how you guys doing? You know, you guys need anything. And, you know, especially when they were at Wrigley, yeah. um, you know, and I, I just, you know, try to be a hospitable uh, host and, things of that nature, because, you know, and I was pretty plugged in with the team at that point. So if they needed information, I would certainly pass it along to them. So, you know, just kind of being friendly before the fact helps you out too, because you get a, you get a reputation as a guy that, you know, works hard and uh, is, is caring of, of the, his fellow broadcasters. And, you know, I, I use that whole, you know, Cubs Padres thing. I used it against myself before anybody else could use it against me. <laughs> so, I mean, I beat them all to the punch. I mean, I'm like, yeah, I know I'm from Chicago and I, I know I hated your team, yeah. but I'm, I'm here now. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of you now. And I mean, the best conversation I had about that was with Tony Gwynn. First time I met Tony Gwynn was in the, in the booth in 07, right after spring training. And he introduced himself to me. I'm like, like, like you need to introduce yourself to me. <laughs> you know I mean, I, I, I can pick you out of the lineup with my eyes closed, you know? And, uh, he, he, I started up with him too. I said, I don't know how you took credit for that going to the world series in 84. I go, you guys just got so damn lucky. Did you guys write the commissioner to have that third game played in San Diego instead of where it should have been? And he started cracking up. He's like, Oh, that's right. You're a Chicago boy. <laughs> you, see, you know, just kind of, I, I kind of use it against myself before anybody else could. Yeah. And I, I was, I was very interactive with the fans. I mean, I, I gotta be honest, social media really helped me because the bloggers can turn on you quickly. And, you know, in any, in any city, if you don't know your, if you don't know your stuff, and I would respond to them all the time and I would let them know that, Hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm not this, I'm not in an ivory tower. I'm, I'm sitting in this booth and I hear what you're saying. You're my audience. You know, you're part of my audience and you're giving me immediate feedback, which is appreciated. Um, you know, not that I'm going to change what I'm doing just because a bunch of bloggers want me to do it, but mm. you know, at least respond and you kind of, uh, even your critics, I respond to them because, most of the time, nine times out of 10, they back down because they never expect you to, to read it or see it or respond to it. And they're like, oh, no, yeah, I didn't mean that. You know, they, they, they <laughs> kind of go into the defensive back yeah. and they start backpedaling and try to get back into coverage. And, you know, you can you can kind of do that ahead of time and kind of have a plan. I mean, hey, listen, I'm going into a white size booth now that uh, people in this town identify me with the Cubs. Yeah. And, you know, it's a it's a whole nother battle that I'm prepared to, you know, to fight. Not that I really think I feel like I need to fight it because 
what White Sox fans are going to find out is that I've done a lot of research and I lived in Chicago. I mean, I'm not an outsider. I'm a Chicagoan who just happened to be on the other side of town for a while. And I remind them all, you know, Harry Carey did it. Steve Stone did it. You know, there's a lot of guys that have done it. And you can you can become a fan of another team without really becoming a fan of another team. What I mean by that is, you know, you're you're not necessarily a fan of the the White Sox or the Padres or the Cubs. You're a fan of the group that's in the clubhouse fighting every day and the ones that you've gotten to know. Yeah. And you can't you can't help but root for those guys. So, you know, you kind of come become a fan by default. And, you know, I, I just. I really feel with uh, with knowledge, with research, and with prep, you can you can diffuse that real quick. Random question: Since you mentioned uh, the White Sox, uh, have you ever mm-hmm. won Sox math? <laughs> you know what? I I, I love that. I mean, I, 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 I can't wait to talk to to, to Jason about uh, about Sox math and all that kind of fun. You know, that's the kind of stuff that can can really help you um, in a broadcast because it shows you have a little humor. Shows you have some personality, and by the way, yes, I have won a couple of them. I actually, oh, really? okay. uh, I, I try, I try to, uh, you know, I try to stay ahead of it, you know, just by, and you know, the, the best ones are you know when he gets the stats in there, and then he, <laughs> he works Stony into it too, because Stony, of course, gave up uh, the only career home run to Dwayne Kuyper uh, of the Giants broadcast crew. So if there's ever an interleague series between those two, you know that comes up because it came up every time the Cubs went out to uh, to San Francisco as well, because Dwayne would come in and, and make it well known. So, yeah, I mean, those are the kind of things, you, you know, you, that you need to work into a broadcast because, you know, I, I hate to say this, but, but, but younger audiences now, they need to be entertained because they don't they're not entertained by the game the way I was entertained. I, I, I'm more entertained by a one nothing game than I am a 12 10. Yeah. And people think I'm nuts when I say that, but <laughs> it's true. I, I am too. I mean, to be honest, and, and it's got a, I feel like a one nothing game's got a better flow to it also. And you can kind of appreciate better the sport flow. for what it is bigger moments, yep. you know, and, and, you know, more tense and more dramatic moments, you know, no matter what time of the year it is, it's a one nothing game. That's, that's uh you can't make one mistake or you're, or you're tired or you're loose. That's why playoff games are so good. Absolutely. Um, complete the sentence for me. Um, sure. being around Dick Enberg was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got to understand, you know, I grew up here in town in Chicago and I grew up in a time where, you know, where Enberg was the king of the airwaves. Uh, he was the voice of the 1985 Chicago Bears, the Super Bowl in 86. Uh, it was him and Merlin Olson. And, I mean, it didn't get any bigger than that. I mean, you knew if it was a big game, Dick was doing it. And uh, when I <laughs> – the funniest story, when I when I first met him, I was up in a conference room at, at Petco Park. He came up the steps, and I had never met him before. He walked in, walked right up to me, and had been. he told me he'd been listening to my USD basketball games. He was like, I love how you call the basketball games. That's cool. You're, you're, I'm like, excuse me, wait a second. <laughs> this is, I said, someone getting this on tape because you know, I want to, I want I want to backed up where I got it was a legendary broadcaster at UCLA uh, during all those games and all those times. Was telling me that my basketball was good. So you know, he he kind of he kind of got me before I could get him. You know, so uh, it was pretty cool to watch how he uh, how he operated and how he worked. And um, you know, obviously he had been out of the game for a while, so it took him a little time to get back in. And, and I actually filled in for him one season. Uh, they, they gave him some, some days off and I filled in for him and it was just kind of weird to be sitting in his chair. You know? <laughs> so it was kind of interesting how that, uh, how that all transpired. Same question I asked of Pat Hughes, and I'm sure you mm-hmm. could go on for another hour about that, this one too, but like, w- yeah. what did you most glean from just, I don't know, being in his presence, uh, seeing how he operates or, or just maybe listening to him with a more careful ear because you're around him so much. Uh, are you talking about Dick? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just, it was, it was, to me, it was all about the voice. I mean, I would hear it in the hallway and it would take me back to, <laughs> it would take me back to times that, uh, you know, that I remember again, growing up with, with big football games or big college basketball games, you know, he was uh, obviously around the NCAA tournament quite a bit. I think he was uh, on the call for a couple of uh, DePaul games when they were in the final four there in 79. Um, but yeah, it's it just, it, he, he kind of prepared differently than I do. I mean, I think that's kind of, that's okay. I mean, there's not really one way to do it. It was interesting to see the immediate command and the immediate respect he got on the field when it came to players and more so coaches and managers who I think were old enough to remember, you know, the glory days of, of him and Merlin Olson and him and Al McGuire and, and those kind of things. And I'm sure that it made getting information from those guys a hell of a lot easier than for, you know, for me, some, <laughs> some you know, what they look at, some snot-nosed kid walking over there going, hey, you know, tell me about your right, right fielder. You know, it's probably a little easier coming from Dick. So, and there were times if it, if it was a tough manager or a tough coach to kind of get a hold of, I'd, I'd trail him. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd let him introduce me to the guy. And I have no shame in that whatsoever. That's it's, smart. You know, you, you, you got to get in somehow, right? And, and nine times out of 10, that guy would remember you because you were there with Dick. So the next time they were in town, I could walk into the office and be, oh, yeah, I met you last time. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, 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 that's something, again, I, I take zero shame in <laughs> and uh, had a lot of appreciation for, for Dick to be able to do that for me. Uh, Andy, if people, I, I know I've taken more of your time than I, uh, than I asked for. So if people want to follow you good. or if people, uh, want to find information about you on social media, things of that nature, uh, how do they track you down? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter and I'm, uh, uh at Andy underscore, uh, Mazur, which is M A S U R and the number one. So it's Andy underscore Mazur one. And uh, I do uh, have a Facebook page. Uh, it's Andy Mazur Broadcaster, kind of all one word there. And I do have my own website as well. It's andy-mazur.com. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty active and, uh, you know, I like to interact with people. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a conversationalist, as you can probably tell. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 like to, I like to find out what people are, are thinking and, you know, how they're seeing things and how they're viewing games that I'm doing and all that kind of stuff, too. If I can leave you with, uh, with, with, I guess we'll do like one, like going away tip, um, sure. on that note, uh, one thing that you think makes a baseball broadcast, be it television or radio, mm -hmm. uh, sound better. Um, what's something that, that is kind of your go-to as a, you know, m maybe like beyond inning and score, but like mm -hmm. one thing that maybe we don't think about that, that you found to be a secret for you. Uh, you know, I, I really enjoy, and this sounds really weird, but you know, letting a game kind of breathe. You know, not trying to fill every second of every pitch of every, you know, moment. Obviously, you got to jump in to call, especially on radio. You know, you got to jump in to call a pitch. But I don't see anything wrong with 10, 15, 20 seconds of just nothing other than the crowd noise behind you, the vendors and those kind of things. Because I just don't see the, the need to fill every single breath and every single minute of every game because it's it's overkill. It's It really, to me, is overkill. Um you know, I just, I just like to be, um, you know, kind of in command of the whole thing and just be precise to make sure that, you know, the, the information that I'm giving is correct. Uh, you know, obviously that goes back to, to, to good preparation work and just being able to notice things. I like to notice, you know, if I, if a guy is limping and he's not showing anybody, he might not be moving as well, or they've made a defensive change, or uh, there was something you saw that was kind of going on in the dugout. 
uh, I, I like to, I, like, I take the responsibility pretty seriously of being the eyes and the ears of a radio listener because they're depending on you for that information. That is Andy Mazur, currently the pregame host of the Chicago White Sox. He got that job with WGN uh, just this past year. This is his first year with the White Sox organization. So uh, actually yesterday would have been his first day as the pregame voice officially of the Chicago White Sox. Former voice of the San Diego Padres as well. Former voice of uh, the San Diego Toreros basketball program. Loved his Dick Enberg insights as well. And Len Casper. It's just kind of neat picking people's brains about what it's like you know on this podcast we pick people's brains all the time that's what we do so it's kind of neat to pick somebody's brain about picking somebody's brain like what it's like to be a sponge in their uh, individual careers as well uh, glad Andy Mazur could join us glad we got him on uh, before the schedule got completely batty um, <laughs> with uh, baseball season starting here this weekend couple of really good guests coming up in uh, the next few weeks Ken Daniels of the uh, Detroit Red Wings will be with us and uh, Kate Scott will be with us of Pac-12 Network as well uh, over the next couple of weeks so uh, stay locked right here if you do not subscribe to the podcast already if you've just streamed this or downloaded one episode do hit that little subscribe button you'll get every episode downloaded immediately to your phone when they drop on Friday mornings and uh, hey usually when I ask the ratings like go through the roof so um, and when I don't like people just don't rate it so I'll go ahead and ask uh, if you get the opportunity to rate the podcast uh, do take some time when you're done listening or before you listen uh, to click a couple of stars and uh, jot down a couple of thoughts about what you enjoy or, or don't enjoy for that matter uh, about the pod it always helps uh, to see that people listen and to get their thoughts um, going forward as well so if you're on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening and you want to throw us a rating and a couple of stars uh, would be much appreciated as well we're out of time though so until next week this has been Play by Playcast my name is Joel Gadet. find us on social media at PXPCast and we are out <laughs>